Publisher Podcast, Episode 45. Okay, some of y'all who have been around since the early days of this podcast, which wasn't actually very long ago, may recall my interview with Eileen Cook. Not only is she one of the funniest people I ever get to interview, she's also very very worldly in her knowledge. In this particular episode, we are talking about rights, the different rights that authors have for optioning because a lot of people don't know all the different ways that you can sell your book to make money. So in particular, we're talking about TV and film rights. We drop into other kinds of rights. We've talked, she talks about, um, foreign rights and the process of that, including your royalties and advances on foreign rights optioning. It's just a very interesting interview thinking about a lot of other formats and ways to get your book out that you may not have thought about. So this is an episode I am sure you are bound to enjoy. So we'll get right to it. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't want to get in your Welcome. I am your host, Alexa Bigwarf, and I'm really excited to spend some time talking about international rights, um, having your book published in different countries and different languages, and also film and TV rights. So I think this is like the goal we all have, whether we realize it or not, that we want our book to be on the big screen. At least that's my goal. (laughs) I want my book to be in a bunch of languages, and I want it to be a major motion picture. I mean, you know, No small dreams there, right? (laughs) So today we are going to be talking, we are talking with Eileen Cook. She's a multi-published hybrid author, which means she has some that are indie published and some that are traditional published, which is great because she can offer us insight into the whole spectrum. Um, She has had her novels appearing in eight languages. Her books have been optioned for film and TV. She spent most of her teen years wishing she were somewhere else or, or someone else, which is great training to be a writer. She's an instructor mentor with the Creative Academy and Simon Fraser University Writers Studio Program, where she loves helping other writers find their unique story to tell. She does live in Vancouver. We won't hold that against her. <laughs> just, I'm just teasing. Uh, we have a lot of Canadians <laughs> this year, so I'm excited to say that this is truly an international summit. Uh, and she has two very naughty dogs. So you can find her at EileenCook.com and other links that we will make sure that you have available to you in the show notes. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm hoping my naughty dogs don't bark in the middle of this interview. I've bribed them with treats, so we'll see. You know what? If they do, that's fine. We will just roll with the punches. But okay, so you basically are are living our dreams. <laughs> our dream, our dream child. You are right. You are a full time professional author, correct? This correct. Is all the time deal. I'm super jealous. Um, and you're in languages and in different markets and on having, uh, are they books that we would, or films or TV that we would recognize? Probably my most uh, popular book that you would know is With Malice. And that one made it into Entertainment Weekly and those kinds of things. So that was my, I had to buy every single issue of Entertainment Weekly at the grocery store. So that's very cool. So now when, when you say that your books have been optioned for film and TV, have any of them made it to the screen? 
And what does it Okay, so let's talk about what that means and then we'll get into the foreign languages and, and all of that stuff. What does it mean to have your book optioned? So probably the best way to think about optioning is it's almost like someone is renting your book. Okay. So you, are, you will be approached or you may approach, so we'll talk about that. Uh, someone who is in the film industry, so it might be a producer. It could be an actor, so someone who's uh, read the book. So Reese Witherspoon reads your book, and she says, I absolutely have to do this. Uh, you might be produ- uh, approached by a film studio that has an interest in that particular project. And what they do is option it. So what they're saying is, we need some time to see if we can pull it together. Mm-hmm. So if you think publishing is complicated, <laughs> welcome to the wild and wacky world of film, where... Okay. Uh, everything is up for grabs and it is a very wild ride. It's like being on a roller coaster because they are the most positive people that you'll talk to. So everything's going to be like, Alexa, we love it. It's amazing. It's going to be the next thing. And you're like, yes. And you're like already buying your Oscar dress and then two weeks later, nobody returns your call. So it's very wild up and down. But when they option, what they do is they are giving you money to basically say you cannot option this book to anyone else. Okay. So you do make some money out of the process, even if it yes, doesn't you make do. it to the screen. Awesome. I happen to know one author who I won't say his name because uh, it's not my story to tell, but he has made $15,000 a year on option rights for 30 years. Oh my because gosh. Because they just keep renewing it. And he said to me, I kind of hope they never make it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're willing to pay him 15,000 a year for 30 years. I would imagine that what they would pay him for actually producing the book would be significant. I don't know how that works. Well, that's actually a good thing to kind of just talk through a little bit. So the option is what it does is it gives them a set amount of time. And as the author, you're looking to kind of restrict that time. And of course, as the film studio, they're looking to extend that time. So typically what you will see is they will want, you know, forever in a day, but what you're going to want to do is limit it. And it's usually one year to 18 months. Mm -hmm. And after that, they have the right to renew, which is obviously what's happened to that author. And during that time, what they're usually trying to do is one, come up with money. (laughs) So if they're producers or so forth, they're, they're going around to various people and they're trying to solicit that this is the project they should make. They're trying to onboard people. So you'll hear the term, somebody's been attached to a story. So that might be a director or an actor who will say that they're interested. They may be starting the process of getting a screenplay done. So they're paying a screenwriter to do up a treatment. They'll come up with what they'll often call a show Bible or a show lookbook, uh-huh. which will be um, sort of pictures and you know, kind of short descriptions. People in the film industry, they have a short attention span. So most of them are not going to read your book, unfortunately. They're going to be reading a short treatment. The picture book. (laughs) They're going to read the picture book version of your novel. So they will be doing all of that in that time period. So what do you get for an option? So it's really going to vary, and it's going to depend on who's optioning your book. So you will see sometimes small independent producers who will option for as little as a dollar. And they are just basically saying, I, I want to hold this. Please give me some amount of time. If you're working with a larger production company or a well-known actor, you're much more likely to see something that might be in the neighborhood of sort of five to $20,000. Uh-huh. And that's usually a percentage of what you would then get 
if it was then made. So for example, if they option it for 20,000, mm -hmm. if it then goes into production, you would get a larger, uh, another amount, and then you would get a final payment if they actually make it all the way through. So you're kind of getting paid along the way. And usually those larger numbers are then, you're getting about sometimes 10%. So on an option of 20,000, I'd be expecting to get somewhere between 200 and 250,000 if it went into production. Wow. So it, that is the, obviously the big win. Right. Now you, what you will see in the contracts and I'm just gonna put a warning out to people is they'll say, oh, or we could give you a lesser amount for a, you know, a cut of the proceeds once it makes it to the screen. Uh, what you have to be leery of is that film companies have some very interesting math <laughs> and <laughs> that a lot of movies that are what we consider huge successes on paper don't necessarily make any money. So uh -huh. you're probably a little bit better to get your money up front and then also be banking on the fact that you'll be reissuing your book with a shiny new cover that has a still from the movie on it and you'll be seeing an increase in book sales as well. Oh, that's so cool. Well, and, and that, I mean, this might be a good um, opportunity to transition because I've also heard that that's kind of the similar situation when you're selling foreign rights is that often it's better to, and you can, you can say if this is true or not, this is just what I've heard that it's better to, um, to go ahead and get a, an in front payment for the rights to your book rather than um, split royalties or do a royalty share over the production of your book in a foreign country. Do you know if that, would you agree or can you tell us your experience with selling the foreign rights? Well, what I would say is, and it's a advice from my agent is my agent would say, let's get some up front and let's get royalty. <laughs> <Even better. laughs> well, I love my agent and she thinks that way. She's like, why are we stopping ourselves there? I think whenever you as an author can get some money up front or you need to make sure that you're very clear and understanding how the royalty split works, mm -hmm. which is just my advice in general is I think so often as writers, when we are offered something, we're so excited, we're so thrilled to just be at the table that we will sign almost anything without right. looking uh, and without understanding. So for me, I have always done an advance plus royalties mm -hmm. and my royalty split is very similar to what I would see uh, in a US publisher. So I, in fact, I get a check ongoing that I'm, I'm, I'm apparently very popular in France. Oh. I'm like the Jerry Lewis or something, I have no idea, but I still get royalties twice a year from a publisher, uh, and the book has been out mm, 10 years now wow. in France, so I'm still getting a royalty check from that. Now, I'm not you know, buying a house on the ocean with that royalty check, but I certainly that's never something. say no yeah. to, to money that comes in the mail. Exactly. And that's actually the point I'd love to make to people who are watching this, is I don't think often enough that writers think in terms of understanding our whole industry. So there are obviously print rights, there's digital rights, there's audiobook rights, there's translation rights, mm -hmm. there's movies, there's television. Uh, in some cases, there might be merchandise rights or even franchise rights. Right. Um, so understanding all the different pieces that you have, and particularly I think things are expanding and growing. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is 
it's audiobook rights. Right. Um, and there's a company that I've I've been using that I love called Find Away Voices, which allows you to contract with audio. Um, the word I'm looking for readers, I guess narrators. That's the term. Um, and you can do a hire with them. They will help you produce your book and help you put it up on all the different sites. And with audiobooks growing, I think that's a really undertapped market because for a lot of us, we just didn't ever do that. But it's possible if you're not careful, you've given away those rights. Right, without even thinking about it. That's, that's a good point. You know, that's, I think, such an interesting point that you bring up because I do hear this discussion a lot with authors and like one of the reasons that they want to self-publish is so that they don't have to give away all these rights and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's important to note that even as a traditionally published author, you have the right to negotiate the rights that you do and don't give. So, um, and also being careful as an indie published writer, look at the contract. Like if you're putting up with Amazon and you check world rights, right. You cannot sell foreign rights. Oh, good. wow. That's, uh, so, that's, that's really important. So the global distribution gives away your foreign rights. So you want to read that contract really carefully about whether or not you're giving away rights to sell your book in English in those foreign markets. So for example, Amazon, of course, is everywhere. Right. Um, or have you, like, just read very carefully, like, have you ticked a box that says they actually have full world rights, which would mean they would have translation rights. Oh, so wow. taking a look at that. And, and again, I think that's the thing where, as authors, we're so excited, whether that's traditionally published, where we're just like, you like me, I love you, right? So we're so excited. Um, or indie published, where we're just, you know, doing all these things. And for most of us who are, you know, doing indie published, depending how much, you know, you're sort of put, putting things up and you're ticking boxes and you may not be aware. Like I know a lot of people, you know, have been surprised by the fact that Amazon's contract, for example, can be changed. Um, so what you get as a royalty split, they have the right to change that and shift that. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. It's my dog that's being naughty now. Hang on just one second. <laughs> Okay. So, well, I did not realize that. So when you say that it can be changed, do you mean as in we have the rights as authors to change the contract or do you mean that Amazon can come in at any point in time and change the contract or both? And does that have to be done? Like it, um, if that were the situation, would you be notified of the change like with enough time to, to respond to it? Or is it like, here's our new policy and you've signed up for this. So here you go. So I would double check because I want to, don't want to make sure that I lead anyone astray, but they do have to give you notice. So they will send it. So you will see and, and Amazon has changed terms as, as they've gone along. And certainly they are the ones who have really opened up the ebook market. Like sure. at the risk of dating myself, my very first book that came out had no ebook rights on it um, because nobody was buying ebooks. Right. Was like, Who's going to read a book on the computer? Like it was this ridiculous idea. And, you know, I sold that book in 2006. So we're not talking ancient history, or at least right. I don't feel like I'm ancient history. No, it's not um, that ancient. <laughs> so, it's all ancient. <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, and, and Amazon is a business, as publishing houses are. I think sometimes, you know, writers, we get like, oh, they're trying to screw me over. And, and they're not. They're running a business. Right. Uh, and that's where we have to put our hats on and start saying, oh, right, I'm a business too. Right. Whether you're traditionally published or indie published, 
making sure that you understand. It would be like going into a restaurant and having someone say like, well, I don't know what the food safe laws are. I just like cooking. That's what I like. You know, I never bothered to learn about payroll for paying waitresses. So I didn't know I had to have insurance. Right. Um, it's understanding that you are now a business. And, you know, I've heard the term, you know, writing is a craft, but publishing's a business. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that, and maybe putting on a different hat and being willing to speak up. Um, contracts, you know, can be negotiated. Now, they are going to be a little bit more challenging if you're a small fish and you're trying to negotiate with Amazon. Right. But Amazon does have things where you can change. So, for example, you can bar to be a part of Kindle Unlimited. Right. Uh, but then you can, you know, pull yourself out of that program. But make sure you understand how that works. Right. Like, what's the time frame you have to do? Right. Uh, consider, you know, setting yourself up, whether it's with Excel or some other kind of um, software or whether you're old school like me and you just have notebooks and planners, but some way where you're tracking when are rights up for things. So. Uh, for a lot of traditionally published authors, one of the things to understand is in your contract, if your agent negotiated it well, there's some clause about when your book will come out of print. And so in the olden days, i.e. before 2006, <laughs> out of print meant literally what it said was that the book was no longer, they were no longer making copies and shipping them to bookstores. Right. Um, with ebooks, of course, nothing is ever out of print. Right. And so what you will see in most contracts is that the book has to be selling so many copies per year. Mm -hmm. And of course, as the publishing house, they want that to be as low as possible. Mm -hmm. And as the author, you want that to maybe be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But those rights don't just automatically revert back to you. You actually have to send them a formal letter that says, I am asking for rights reversion. Mm -hmm. I have now fallen below that threshold. Uh, I would like those rights back. And then all of those rights come back to you mm -hmm. and you can then go on and do whatever you like. So my first book, Unpredictable, was the first book that we optioned uh, and it was optioned to New Line Cinema. Um, they renewed that option a couple of times. Uh, in the course of that time period, the option expired. <laughs> the book eventually went out of print. I went and reissued it. So it's now an indie pubbed title. And I myself then went forward and started talking to some producers that I had met in the process and oh, had wow. it re-optioned, uh, which is where it is now with someone who's trying to get that made. Very exciting. That, that's a, that's a, I mean, if it actually happens, that'll be really a really cool experience. We'll have to have you back after it's been made into a film so you can tell us about that entire process. <laughs> and I'll wear giant sunglasses and carry one of my dogs in a handbag. That's, and... <laughs> right. that's right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you've mentioned a couple of times working with an agent. Now you said that you were um, hybrid. So I'm curious Well, I have two major questions. You can answer them in any order you'd like. So the process for someone who, who is an indie author who wants to sell foreign rights, do they need to have an agent? Um, I, I know you can do it on your own, but I've heard it's, it's difficult, especially if you don't know all the ins and outs. Um, well, let's just start there. I'll come back with my other question. Good, because I was like, okay, remember everything. I mean, remember everything. Um, you can, if you are comfortable, and again, part of this depends, I think, on how comfortable an author is with the sales aspect of things. Right. You can pursue foreign sales on your own. You are welcome to go. There are two big foreign sales. So there is the Bologna uh, Fair and there is the Frankfurt Fair. And 
if you are so inclined, you can go. Publishers have tables set up. You can be walking around, handing them copies of your book, talking that you would be interested in doing that. Um, but be aware, like you're, you need to really hustle and sell your book. Right. Um, so some of that's going to depend how comfortable you are with that process. Right. And then second option is you could seek an agent just for foreign sales. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, there's two options that you can go to. So one is you could be uh, querying traditional agents here in the North American market, either Canada or the US, and saying that you are looking for a foreign agent only, and most of them are have some sort of foreign division. So they may look at taking it on. And then there are also agents who all they do is foreign sales. Right. Now, the one, you know, the easiest way to do this is have a runaway bestseller. So there you go. There's your tip of the day. <laughs> if you are hugely Nothing popular, just, no, no, just write a bestseller, just tremendous. <laughs> just start with a bestseller, <laughs> sell that, sell, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies and they will come looking for you. Um, but that is how that will work is they will seek you out in that particular situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can go to someone with, with sort of just a foreign deal only and say that you're looking for foreign right sales. What you have to understand is for a foreign publisher, there are some additional expenses because they are the part that is paying for translation. So you right. are not paying for that service. That's nice. um, so they are paying for that. So for them, they're really going to be trying to think about, you know, what's going to make this sell in their particular market. So again, if you were doing this on your own and you really wanted to sell in um, Italy, because uh, I want to go to Italy, so I'm sort of put that out there. You want to sell in Italy, knowing what books are selling there. So you can say like, I know, you know, the Italian bestsellers have included, et cetera, et cetera. And my book is in that same genre, but it's different in this particular way, mm. is a way of intriguing them. So, and, and I actually have no idea at this moment, but let's assume for some reason that you've written a fantasy novel and fantasies don't sell in Italy. You're kind of wasting your time and energy there because for them, they're probably not looking for that. Again, unless you've written the next Lord of the Rings, Game of right. Thrones, where suddenly they're going to be like, yes, we do want that. Right. Well, that, well, that leads me to a question then. And that is how does someone do that kind of research on what's popular in, in other countries? It's, it's as simple, it's simple as to some degree, getting out your friend Google and uh, <laughs> kind of going Google. through, <laughs> when in doubt, Google, and sort of looking at what is selling in particular markets. Um, I keep a lot of eye on England because one, I love a lot of English books. So uh, one of my favorite thriller writers is a woman named Liz Nugent, uh, and she's hugely popular in the UK. Uh, she did a book here, Unraveling Oliver, which was fairly popular, but she hasn't had the same level of success. But if you read her book versus something like A Gone Girl, you'll sort of see just a few differences. Uh -huh. uh, and if I was talking to the UK market, I would use Liz Nugent as a comparable versus, strangely, Gillian Flynn. So that leads me to what I feel like is a dumb question, but I want to make sure that it's answered, and that is... Is the UK considered a foreign market and do you sell specific rights to the UK? Yes. So if you look at contracts, you will see, again, always look at what you're signing. So you might sign something that says World English and World English would include the UK. It would include okay. any place where 
and I'm trying to think there's some like weird province of some weird place where English is their first language, right? <laughs> so it's, you know, any place where English is listed as the primary language, then you are selling there. Uh, but otherwise, the UK is a foreign market. And for example, I come, I'm a, not only am I a hybrid author, I'm a hybrid citizen. So I'm both American and Canadian. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, and one of the interesting things is I have sold in France and I have also sold it into the French Canadian market and they're considered nice. two separate markets. Uh, and if you've are. ever tried to speak your high school <laughs> French in Quebec, you will know that uh, they consider it two very different languages. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh, well, that's interesting. I never even thought about I mean, you just assume like, you're like, okay, but I mean, if you think about just Amazon on itself, I mean, Canada has its own Amazon site and, yeah, it, you can really get bogged down into trying to figure all of this stuff out. Okay, so let me recap just a little bit here. So um, if you were trying to do it, let's just talk from the view of finding an agent because I think that's going to be the easier route for most people. So you would go out, find an agent who does foreign rights exclusively, do your research because not only it's just like selling a book to a traditional publisher in the fact that first you have to sell your agent and then you have to sell, you know, so you have to get the agent first and then they will, because most of them work on commission. Is that correct? They, I'm going to be really clear on this part. They should only be working on commission. Okay, good so, to know. No okay. money <laughs> okay. should you be paying uh, other than you take, a, they take a percentage of your sales. So, But that's super important to know and understand because that means they're going to be very choosy about the books that they take on. Yeah, they're very choosy because they are often spending a lot of time slash money for them mm -hmm. um, trying to build you up so that they can make money from your book sales. So they are going to be selective. And I also compare it to, I don't know about you, but I read a ton. And if you asked me about, I think last year I added it up, I read 86 books. And if you said to me, you know, out of those books, <laughs> I read constantly, you know, if you said to me out of those books, which ones did I pick up the phone and call someone and say, Alexa, you absolutely have to read Liz Nugent's Unraveling Oliver. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, there's very few. There's a lot of books that a week after I read them, I almost don't remember right. them. Right. So what you're trying to do is convince an agent not only to have that kind of love for your book. But to call someone and say, why don't you give me $30,000, $100,000, $300,000 for this book? Right. I mean, it has to be a true love and a passion for them. Um, so I would say to people, I think querying agents is sometimes almost the dis most discouraging part of the process. Yeah, I'm sure. Because you get a lot of almost where people will say, you know, I really liked it. It just wasn't for me. I don't think I can take it on at this time. And people take it like nobody likes my writing. And yeah. it's not that. It's just, yeah. do they have this thing where they are already itching to pick up the phone and basically let me call someone. I know I can sell this book. I know I can. Like yeah. that's what you're looking for. Um, I know from, I, I, did, I never went all the way through the process, but I had started off talking with a, an international rights agent um, and she just, just first of all, she had a, a phone conversation with me. She was very open about just having the conversation. And um, the book that we were considering uh, is written in, it's a children's book written in English rhyme. And there's a lot of, so her biggest concern was that it would be really difficult to produce the same effect 
of the storyline translated. And that's something you have to think about too. Like, is your book even going to, can you translate a rhyming, you know, a rhyming book and still have the same effect. Um, But we had a great conversation and, and, but she was very, like some of the questions she was very concerned about, like the number of sales that had already happened in the U S market. So I think these are things I've never actually gone through with an agent, but I would guess to your point on, um, the fact that they work on the commission and the fact that they have to go convince somebody else to pay to have the book translated and, and promoted and marketed and all these things in a foreign market, you know, they're going to want to know, is your book selling? And if your book's not selling in the U S why would you think it's going to sell in France or in Germany or China? And, you know, so do you have any to add on that? (laughs) Anything to add on that? I would say you're, you're bang on like, and, and just for people to remember again, that that's not a reflection on whether or not you wrote a good book. Right. That's a reflection on the market. And it, it is a challenging thing because, you know, I've had experiences where I've had books that have done really well with sales, uh, you know, and then had another book that didn't do as well and trying to figure out, you know, why did that happen? Uh, you know, I might even like the other book better or think like, it's, but it's a better story. Um, but there are so many market forces that are at work. And that's why I think, you know, keeping track of what you've written, where, you know, where it is in the process, whether or not you have rights or don't have rights, and constantly doing things like this summit where you're educating yourself, because our business just keeps changing and evolving. That's for um, sure. That's and you need sure. to, you know, sort of, stay on top of those things, whether that's, you know, through something like this, or you belong to something like, you know, the creative Academy that I'm a part of, or, you know, things where there are opportunities to talk to people and understand, you know, what's happening with audiobooks. Oh, wait, I didn't know you could do an audiobook on your own. Like, how does that work? And what are the costs for that? And really starting to think through terms that we don't think of with writing, like return on investment. And... (laughs) all of those types of things, but those are the publishing side. Yeah. Um, so, well, then let me ask you another question. As a traditionally published author, at what point in time do foreign rights conversations come up? Are they part of the initial package or do they too also wait to kind of see how the, the U.S. market goes before they start pitching it to other countries? You'll see it happen both ways. So one of the things you need to understand is the first thing that your agent will be negotiating with a publisher is does the publisher retain foreign rights, mm-hmm. which is they have the right to sell. You still will get money. Like it's not that they get the money. Right. Um, so I'll explain that in a minute or whether or not you retain the foreign rights. So we're going to make this easy on me because math was not my subject. <laughs> so we're going to say a publisher is going to give you a $10,000 advance. And that your royalties are $1 a book. Okay. <laughs> I told you we were going to make this easy. Yes, very so, easy. <laughs> <laughs> so what would happen is you would be getting that advance, which I basically means in advance of the book coming out. So you have that money. You would never have to pay that back. Okay. But you'll hear the term earn out. And what that means is after you've sold 10,000 copies, you have earned out. <laughs> And after that, the publisher is paying you $1 per book for every book after that. Okay. Now with foreign sales, how that works is let's say that the publisher has retained foreign rights. So they sold, they gave you an advance of $10,000 and they sell the book in France for $5,000. Okay. 
okay. that $5,000 first goes against your advance. So okay. now you would only need to sell 5,000 books before you're earning out. So it would still be a dollar per book then, regardless of what market it was selling in, essentially. Well, right? there might be a different royalty rate, but the fact that they got an advance of $5,000, that first is going to go against okay. the advance they've already paid you. Got it. Now okay. let's say you have a crafty agent like mine who is very good at hanging on to foreign rights. <laughs> so the publisher has given me $10,000 and my crafty agent goes and sells it in France for $5,000. I get the $5,000 mm -hmm. and the $10,000. Right. So I don't have to apply it against my advance. So it's nice. more money in my pocket immediately. Nice. Now, if you're earning out, it's less of an issue, but you may never earn out. Like you don't yeah. necessarily know. So again, that's why sometimes you're wanting to keep that. Yeah. So if you're traditionally published and the publisher wants world rights, I'd be looking to make sure like, do they exploit those rights? Like what are they going to do to sell it in a foreign country? Right. Yeah. They'll typically start trying to sell right away. So for example, my first book, Unpredictable, um, we did keep foreign rights on that. My agent sold that. And, uh, you know, just in the interest of being totally transparent, like that actually book, strangely enough, my advance was 10000 <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I always use that as my, my starting point. That was 10000 But my agent sold it in Germany before the book ever came out for $40,000. What? Um, okay, so let's talk about why. Um, oh, oh, hang on one second here. You. Um, okay. So, so what do you think it is then? Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how to ask the question I want to ask here. What do you think it is that made the Germans so excited about this book that they would invest that heavily before any proof of anything? Like, again, was it just because that's what was selling super hot on their market at the time? Is that type of story? Uh, Unpredictable is a romantic comedy about a girl who pretends to be a psychic uh, <laughs> in order to get her ex-boyfriend back. So she is telling his new girlfriend all these predictions that she knows will hopefully split them apart, but she, you know, mayhem ensues. That's basically the way Fine. to do that. And strangely enough, apparently in Germany at the time, there was a big interest in skeptics and sort of this whole idea that psychics might not be real and they liked romantic comedies and my agent's great. And so the next thing you know, they thought like, this is be great. And they wanted the book and we were off and running. So strangely enough, you know, my first book, Unpredictable, I was so thrilled to get a 10,000 advance. Like to be clear, I would have probably taken a dollar. Um, <laughs> it's your but, first book. You're like a publisher has it. Woo! But it has it, right? <laughs> um, but I actually made far, I mean, because we optioned that book. Um, and again, in transparency, you know, I got an option for 20,000 that renewed. I sold in nine different markets. Like I made wow. far more money outside of the U.S. market on that book than I did in the U.S. market. Wow. Um, and so, that's where I think people, you know, they leave money on the table yes. because we tend to think of yes. ourselves as that. And I even looked this up. So, um, IPR license is the group that kind of organizes a lot of the foreign book uh, events and so forth. And they did a quiz and I actually looked this up. I have stats. <laughs> so 47% of authors admit they did not know or were unsure if they owned world rights to their book. Wow. 
uh, and only 13% of respondents had licensed their work to an overseas publisher. And 28% of authors didn't even know when they did or didn't have the rights to license. <laughs> wow. Well, so. but from a self-publishing side, I mean, I can, to I totally get this because it's intimidating enough just to learn the process of getting your book published on Amazon. Yes. Then you start learning that, oh, you should have done it in Ingram Spark and you should have done it through a, this wholesaler and you should have tried to do this and you should, you know, so yeah, I can, I completely understand it. And I would say this is one of those elements where I feel a strong pull towards why traditional can be such a great, and I don't necessarily mean like the traditional publishing house, but the traditional route of having an agent and then moving forward that way because they do know these things. They know the ins and outs of it. I mean, if published 40 books and I don't have international rights on any of them because it's been something that's so intimidating to me, I don't even know where to start. So I really appreciate your transparency in this very, very open conversation because it gives me hope that what I really just need to start with is picking up the phone and calling someone and selling my book to them, the agent. And I think it's a reality. Like, I think it's human nature now because we're online all the time and it's like this huge thing scrolls by and like you just scroll past and hit, I agree. And then you go right. on to the next thing. Right. Right. We're not reading. And you know, I have a lot of faith that, you know, a lot of us are very smart women and men and, uh, not to give them discredit, right. but, you know, take time, like sit down, look at, you know, what you're signing. And if you don't understand it, look at, there are amazing resources online uh -huh. and, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and, you know, talk to people, educate yourself. You know, if you happen to be at a conference where there are agents, you know, take a pitch session with them, talk with them about foreign rights. Um, you know, Google is our friend and, you know, Again, I was you know, looking stuff up because I wanted to make sure I didn't misspeak on today's interview. So, you know, it's just reminded of a lot of things where it's, you know, it breaks down parts of a contract for you where you can go right. online and it says, this is what this means in a contract. This is what that means. Yeah. Um, and taking the time to do that. So, you know, what I would say, like my big take home for writers out of this is there are markets I'm willing to bet you haven't explored. Um, and, you know, checking those out is well worth it making sure you understand what you've signed and for how long that holds for, because you may find yourself in a situation where, you know what, at this point, I just want it up on Amazon. I'm just doing Kindle Unlimited. I'm doing right, all that. Right. But then understand those usually just roll over unless you interrupt that. Oh, so yeah. you need to have, right. you know, on your calendar, this is when that expires and then make some decisions. Like maybe I don't want to be in, in KU this time. Maybe right. you do. Right. Um, but so that you're on top of it, because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you can't do something yeah. because you didn't pay attention to it. Well, and it also makes me wonder, like with a lot of the sites like um, Kobo and um, uh, Book Baby or um, Publish Drive or any of these other um, organizations that are out there with the intent of distributing your book for you, um, I don't know that I've read very closely to see, because I know a lot of them distribute into foreign markets, as in like the Chinese market, but they're not like translated, all that stuff. It's just available yeah. for sale there. But it makes me wonder, did if that, you know, what the rights are in terms of, uh, of 
distribution. Most of them, most of those types of sites never go exclusive because you're allowed to put your book pretty much anywhere. Yeah. However, obviously, if Kobo is distributing it to Amazon, then you can't be doing it through Publish Drive to Amazon. You can't be direct, you know, all those types of things. Yeah. So I think it's a great point that you just really do have to take the time to read through and figure out what you're signing um, and all of that. But it's also super interesting to know how much money you can make if you have a really good book and you know that that type of book is doing well in a foreign market, how much money you can actually make by trying to sell it to those markets is incredible. Well, and I think the difference maker for me from being, you know, a day job person writing and, you know, it's kind of slowly, I went to part-time and then eventually to full-time was exploiting the, exploiting sounds bad, but it's me, but exploiting the full range of things. So thinking about audiobooks, film rights, you know, royalties coming in when, you know, if something's not selling, get the rights back, let's indie publish it myself. Right. You know, thinking about having those different streams of income is what's going to, to help you sort of make that difference. And if you're confused and you're lost on that, you know, something like this summit is huge. Um, you know, looking whether or not if you're, you know, want to take an online class, do something like the Creative Academy, where there's people who are, you know, available to talk to who have done it and can kind of coach you through what you might need to know. So uh, the Creative Academy is new to me. So please take a moment to tell us a little bit about it. I'm not familiar with it. I love it. Uh, so one, we have a free resource room. So anyone, if you just go to, I think you have the website, it'll be up there, but it's uh, CCS Creative Academy. Uh, you can go up there and we have a free resource room, which is just free, uh, but we also have a membership model. So there's three of us, myself, a person who, uh, Crystal CJ Hunt and Donna Barker. So Donna Barker is a coach. So uh -huh. she's the one who's gonna make sure your butt is in the seat. She's the accountability girl. I'm the craft person, I'm talking writing, and Crystal uh, is a very successful indie published uh, romance writer, and she used to be a publisher, she used to run Gumboot Books. Oh, wow. um, so we each have weekly office hours where we answer people's questions, so people can come in, it's similar to this, we actually use Zoom, so people can ask questions, we have master classes, um, we're doing interviews, so we interviewed, for example, my agent, Barbara Powell, and she answered people's questions on different things. Um, we did uh, something with Find Away Voices. We've done something uh, with some other different groups. So we're bringing in people to sort of talk and get their questions answered. So it's meant to be an online community where we have hopefully a lot of fun. And also people can pick each other's brains. So there's, um, we have people who are uh, New York Times successful Hugo award-winning authors who are members. Um, and they're also there and able to answer questions for people too. Well, you've given us a lot of information about something that I was completely not knowledgeable at all. So I really thank you for that. Um, and we will make sure that everybody has all the links. Uh, do you have any final takeaways or tips or points that you want to make sure that people really, really have on the top of their brain as we leave this conversation? I would say the biggest thing is remember that there are two sides that you're going to be. You're going to be your author side, which is going to be your creative side and you're gonna have your business side. And don't be afraid to be a business person. Mm -hmm. uh, your art has value. Uh, you are not money grabbing to want to earn money from your art. Mm -hmm. What you are is a business person. 
I so wear that, that proudly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that tip. Thank you so very much. I appreciate everything that you shared with us. And um, this was just, this was phenomenal. And now I need to go looking for agents. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.